lightweight retreat today. But it's where the rubber meets the road. And y'all, you've only, you've only had to be subject to this like last night today. The Lord's been working me on this since the spring. Right? Man, my flame is... So, uh, you can tell. But... The, the Word of God has the power to transform us. We know that. Into the image of Jesus Christ, which is what we are to be conforming to. But y'all, faithfulness to the Word of God issues forth the natural outflow of a woman whose heart belongs to the Lord. She spends time in the Word. The Spirit applies the word and transforms her life. She will walk in obedience to the Lord. The natural outflow, the natural result of loving God with everything you've got, living according to his word, will be obedience. Faithfulness to the Lord issues forth into obedience. Not sometimes, but just about every time and y'all this grace filled life that we're talking about the charisma the wholeness of the kind of life we're talking about requires the big O I call it okay (laughs) oh no the big O okay obedience there is no way around it If the aim of Christians is Christ-likeness, the only way to live will be to live like Jesus. And how did Jesus live? Obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. Obedience in the life of a believer is the proof and the result of a love relationship with the Lord. We would tell our children when they were young and would choose to disobey. Disobedience is not a behavior problem. It's a love problem. When we love God enough to fully entrust ourselves to him, and trust him in all that he says, then we will do what he says. Because he has proven himself faithful and trustworthy. We can trust him when he says, Hey, come to a land I will show you. Hey, hop on out of that boat. Walk over to me on the water. Hey, if you want to find your life, you got to lay it down and lose it in order to find it. Obedience. We already went over what I call the cycle of life, right, from John 14. If you love me, you will obey me. If you will obey me, the Holy Spirit, the helper, is there. And then we characterize this love relationship we have. I, You love me. I love you. We all love one another. I'm in you. You're in me. We're all there. Our life is hid with Christ in God, the song that we sang. And I will disclose myself to the one that loves me, obeys me, and walks by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the more we learn of God, here is our life cycle again. The more we love him, the more we will obey him, the more the Holy Spirit is active in our lives, helping us. If you read on some, uh, I guess lots of things, but I know toothpaste for sure, it'll have a little blurb on there that says active ingredient. And then I'll have some name a mile long. I don't know, some chemical, something, okay? But that active ingredient, all the other stuff is just for taste and consistency and to keep it in the tube and make it come out of the tube and all that stuff, right? Make it slide and all that. But the active ingredient is the thing that accomplishes the purpose of the toothpaste in the first place, right? Well, the Holy Spirit is to be the active ingredient in our lives, that by applying God's word to our lives accomplishes God's purpose in us and through us, right? So the Holy Spirit's power is so important in our lives. And I just want to note in that John 14 chapter, uh, chapter, the verses we were looking at, 
Jesus also says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. So that sounds to me like it says, if you're not keeping the word of God, you're not loving him. I think that's what it says, clearly. And he says, the word which you hear, Jesus himself says, the word on this I'm telling you right now, that what I just said, it's not mine, it's my father's. Several times, if you read the book of John, you'll find Jesus saying, I do nothing of my own initiative. I do what the Father is doing and says do. Y'all, if that's the way Jesus lived, in obedience to the Father while he was on earth, how then shall we live? In obedience to the Father. Not taking our own initiative, but only doing what God has revealed for us to do. Now, a few points about obedience, okay? And these are the ones we don't want to hear, okay? Partial obedience obedience is not obedience. Doing part of what God says, conforming to a little bit. The stuff we like, or that's not quite so hard, or that doesn't cost us as much, is not full-on obedience. Delayed obedience is not obedience. You know, what do we want from our children? My children now, I told my children, they're telling their children. What we want is first-time obedience. I tell you, you do it. I should not have to say it three, four, five, six hundred times, okay? <laughs> Sometimes I'm in the grocery store or something, and the little mommy is saying, I told you, do not do that, or I'm going to blah, blah, blah. I told you, do that, or I'm not going to blah, blah, or I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And she says that five or six times just in one aisle, and I want to go up to her and say, I don't believe you, and neither does he. Okay? <laughs> 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 Give the kid one chance, and then we got consequences, okay? They learn that way. Delayed obedience is not obedience. Mm -hmm. Intending to obey is not obedience. You know, we sit here at retreats, and, you know, we're all squishy with the Lord right now, and this has been awesome, and we have every intention of applying all this truth to our lives, and then we get home and uh, the rest of our life happens and other people show up. You know, the only problem in my life is other people. <laughs> you know, if it's just me and the Lord all the time, we'd be cool. We'd be all right. But what did Jesus say when they were up on the mountaintop of Transfiguration? Peter's going, man, let's, have, let's just build some altars. Let's have church. Let's just live right here. Jesus only, only Jesus. And Jesus said no. Mountaintop experiences with me are so that you're equipped to go down and live in the valley. Intending to obey on the mountaintop does not necessarily translate, translate into obedience in the valley. Intending to obey is not the same as obedience. Agreeing with God that you need to obey is not the same as obedience. How many times in quiet time, Lord, I know you're right. Lord, I should not have said that. Lord, I know you're right. I'm not going to say that ever again. And then what happens? Next time that same thing comes up, I say that same thing. Agreeing with God that you need to obey is not the same as obedience. Early on in our marriage, uh, because I had spent time in the Word, because I was in the middle of my godly woman quest, I discovered that the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> Y'all, I'm that 60s and 70s wild, rebellious, roaring, I am woman person. And I really, I had heard of submission, but I thought men made that up. <laughs> <laughs> so they could have their own way, right? So I, I didn't believe all that. Well, don't you know I found it in the Word of God? <coughs> so I knew I had to do it because God said it. And my husband is a, a very, very kind, good, gracious, 
He's a strong leader, but he's very kind and considerate. We talk over everything, and we, you know, we 521, we submit to one another in the love of Christ and all that, but there comes a time when there, you know, he's saying one thing and I'm saying another. So we can only do one, which one we're going to do. So we had one of those moments. So the Lord, you know, whispers to me, you have to stop. Okay. I knew the Lord said it, so I said, okay, we'll do what you say. Well, so guess what? what are, I don't even remember what it was now. I remember the experience of it, but I don't remember even what we disagreed over. But I agreed, okay, I will do it your way, do whatever you say. So we're, I'm going about doing what he's saying, but guess what's happening on the inside of me? Well, I don't know why I have to do this. I don't think he's necessarily right. Well, I, I, you know, he should listen to me. I don't know why I have to listen to him. I don't know who made that. I don't know. God, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Jesus was never married. He doesn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got this dialogue going on inside myself. Now, let me ask you. Had I obeyed God in submitting to my husband? No. no. My outside did what it was supposed to, but my inside was rebelling all the same rebellious conforming of outside behavior to some standard is not obedience. If there is still rebellion in my spirit and I'm just digging in my heels and doing something because I think I have to, it's not obedience. Okay? Y'all, I was a piece of work. Can you imagine? (laughs) I think I wrote this down. The Lord used his word to, to pierce me on that and show me that Outside behavior change without inside attitude change is not obedience. That's phrased a little better. Outside obedience with inside disobedience is still disobedience. And y'all, no wonder, we talked about already Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart, the inside person, your attitude. With all diligence, for from your attitude flows your behavior, okay? Watch over your attitudes and affections, the things you love, because you will gravitate toward and serve the things you love. And if you love yourself, you'll serve yourself. And if you love sin, you'll serve sin. But if you love the Lord, you'll serve Him. We need to keep that love relationship going. Spiritual vitality, that flame is killed, killed by a rebellious spirit and by disobedience. If you want to keep that flame burning so that Satan cannot it out, obedience is a key. So, what about you? I keep asking that question, don't I? (laughs) Let me just ask you, oh, I know what, I I need to give this example. Before, the house I live in right now, we have a sprinkler system. Oh, Lord, whoever created that and dug those holes, bless their soul. Because the the house we lived in for 22 years did not have a sprinkler system. So every time, and in Houston, we go for a long time, sometimes out rain, 100 degree days, day after day after day. So you've got to water your yard. So I'd get that hose out there. And you know, I am frugal and wise, and I don't want to water the street. So I'm not just going to put it on full blast and water the street. So you've seen somebody do this. I, I could have been on America's Funniest Home Videos. I go put the sprinkler out there, and then I run over and turn on the water and watch where it went, right? And if it was too far away, I'd watch it. And then I run, move it, and run back, right? But then every now and then you go and you turn it on and you can hear the water, but nothing's coming out. What happened? You got a kink in your hose, right? Y'all, that's what happens with disobedience. The spigot's wide open. Holy Spirit is right there. But we got a kink in our hose. That rebellion, that disobedience has cut off the flow, the water of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Is it any wonder 
that we live like we're drying up in a drought. Disobedience, rebellion in our spirit is a kink in that hose. So, what about you? Are there kinks in your hose right now? Are there signs of disobedience in your life? Are you walking in rebellion in some area of your life? We don't, I, you don't have to raise your hand. But I, I want you to answer that question honestly. And if you are actively living in rebellion to the Lord, He's going to show you. I mean, it's not like you can go, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know? It's like our dog does something she's not, or we used to have a dog, we don't have her anymore. But if she did something she wasn't supposed to do, you'd call her name, Jelly Bean. She'd go. <laughs> <laughs> she'd just look away like, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> we all, we can do that with God for a little while, but eventually that's going to catch up with us, Right? So what about you? Are you walking in rebellion? Is there some kink in your hose right now? And the beauty of our relationship with the Lord is He has already made provision to unkink that hose. And we confess. Confess means say the same thing as. Say the same thing that God says about the kink in that hose. Lord, I have a rebellious attitude about that. I am walking in rebellion against you. Name it. Own it. You know, we have, as a society, we have changed the name of sin so they don't sound so bad, right? Lying is now misinformation. (laughs) Okay? Yeah. It's misremembering, right? Adultery, gone a-whoring, is having an affair, Right? We've changed the name of sin to make it more palatable to ourselves. Whatever you're going to call it, call it. Name it and own it before the Lord. You can't give it away till you own it. Confess it. Look, I'm a professional confessor. Uh, I mean, because it, I just I don't want anything to have a kink in that hose. I want the Holy Spirit flowing through me fast and furious all the time. I'm desperate without the Holy Spirit power in my life. I really am. So, the Lord has made provision. Confess. Say the same thing as God about your sin, your lack of obedience. Lord, I have disobedience in my life. Here it is. Here's the name of it. I repent. And repent, y'all, is not first a behavioral thing. The behavioral change is a result of an attitude change. Repentance, metanoia, is a change of mind. I change my mind about that thing. I no longer think that doing that will satisfy me. I no longer think that doing things my way or doing whatever it is, an act of disobedience that is going on in my life, is I no longer think that's the right thing to do. I align my thinking, my mature thinking, with the thinking in the Word of God. That said, I change my mind about that thing. And guess what? When I change my mind about it, my behavior changes. So many people teach repentance as a behavioral thing. You've seen it and heard it a thousand times. You turn and walk the other way, 180 degrees. You no longer do you turn and walk the other way. Yes, but the first thing you have to do is change your mind about it. Okay? Because if you still think in your mind, that's an okay thing, God just caught you that time, guess what? You're right back to it before you know it. We must allow God to change our thinking and to put our hope and our satisfaction and our trust in Him. And no longer in that sin, whatever it is. Confess, repent, trust, and obey God. You know, those old hymn writers, they had something. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. If we just live by that one little hymn, wow, our light would be shining. We'd be burning hot. Are you worrying about something? Well, it's a command in Scripture to be anxious for nothing, to don't worry. Well, 
I just, you know, I had a friend say to me sometimes, well, you have to worry about your kids. And I said to her, well, no, you don't. <laughs> she looked at me. I had another girl. She was a preacher's kid. I couldn't believe it. We used to have church on Sunday night. And uh, I saw her on Sunday night one time. She hadn't been there Sunday morning. And I said, oh, I missed you this morning. And she said, well, you just have to sleep in every now and then. And I'm like, no, you do not. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that was sin. That, that part's between her and God. But, you know, there's just some things. No, you do not have to do that. <laughs> you do not have to worry. It's a sin. Choose not to. Be anxious for nothing. Confess. Confess your worry, your anxiety, your fear, your angst. I'm so stressed. That's like the new badge of courage, the red badge of stress. Okay? I'm so stressed. You know, if Satan can't make you bad, he will make you busy. And you will stress completely. That's anxious, stressing to the point that we do. It's not right. Confess, repent. Change your mind about it. Choose not to do it. Walk in freedom. You being submissive to your husband. Now, I know we got the whole complementarian, egalitarian debate going on, but I think it's really clear in Scripture. I'll let you decide for yourself. But uh, how about in your marriage? Are you the wife? Are you living as the wife? that honors and serves her husband? Are you respecting your husband? That's a direct command from Scripture. How many times when women get together, when they go to Bible study to study a book, do they have a little <laughs> conversation first, and all they do is each complain about their husband? Well, he or I can't believe him. And then the other one says, oh, well, I can't believe him. Well, I wouldn't do that. Is that honoring to your husband, or is that respectful to your husband? If you're not honoring and respectful to your husband, that's sin. Confess. Repent. Ask for and receive forgiveness. Walk in obedience. How about are you harboring inside? You know these inside sins? We can get away with hiding them from everybody, or we think we can. You have pride. You got some pride going on. Unforgiveness, y'all, people hurt you. People are mean. People are cruel. People are thoughtless. Unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred, malice, slander coming out of your mouth because of the hatred in your heart. <clears throat> That's a kink in the hose, isn't it? Get rid of it. Confess. Repent. Change your mind. Are you mad at God for not doing something you want? And I had a thing with God last year. Our We have a small family-owned business. The family happens to be my husband and I. <laughs> Everything we have is in it. Our two sons work for us, and it's been a struggle. It has been a struggle. And... Uh, we had to lay people off, and every time we laid somebody off, I had to get part of their job. So, like, I'm HR, and I know nothing about HR except how to spell it. <laughs> I mean, that's about it. I got to do payroll. That means every two weeks I have to remember to do payroll. I mean, just all these things. And I just sat down with the Lord one day, and I said, Lord, I do not like this. I do not like what you have asked me to do. And you know what? God was okay with me saying that. But God was not okay with me continuing to walk in an attitude that said, I don't want to do what you've asked me to do. Why he got me on it. I mean, firmly but gently, he dealt with me. And uh, I don't have time to go into all he said, but he got me. And uh, I confess, repent, and... I, it's still a choice that I have to consciously make when I have to go to work and do whatever I have to do, but I consciously thank God for the that I can do it, that I have the opportunity to help and support my husband in this and my sons and, and whatever. I try to find things to be thankful for, even though I'm doing something that I would not choose for myself. Okay?
Are you questioning God's faithfulness to you? Yeah, we sing all that song, Great is our faithfulness, and right now you've got something going on in your life. You had not seen God in two and a half months, and you're wondering why he hadn't showed up. Well, I want to submit to you that maybe God's been there all along, and you're just not showing up to him. And you're the one that's being unfaithful to him. Y'all, God is God. We are not. And when trials are happening or storms are happening or pain is happening, don't attribute it to the faithlessness of God. Attribute it to we live in a fallen world and sin is everywhere and it's hard. Life is hard, but God is good. God is the one we run to. He is the only faithful one. And so when we're in times of difficulty or storm or privation or wilderness or deep, deep grief and pain and things we just can't understand, when we just feel overwhelmed, the faithfulness of God is what will see us through. Confess that you have not trusted God. Confess that you have been unfaithful. Repent. Trust and obey. Are you busy uh, helping God in some area of your life rather than waiting on his promise to be fulfilled, Sarah? I, I don't mean that if anybody in here is named Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sarah in the Bible. <laughs> descendants have been in opposition to the Lord. So are you helping God rather than waiting on God? Confess, repent, and get out of the way. Are you honest? Well, yes, I am. <laughs> are you? You tell the truth? What about a little white lie? A lie is a lie is a lie. Okay? My children, oh my goodness. I think they'd rather jump off the Empire State Building than suffer the consequences of lying to their mother ever again. Okay? I was big on we do not lie. And y'all, the thing is, particularly with raising our children, the reason why lying is wrong is because it violates the truth, which is God himself. Right? God's person, his nature and character, issues forth into principles for how we should live. Right? And those principles then are sort of codified in precepts. Thou shalt not lie. Okay, bear false witness, right? That's a violation of the holy character of God. That's why we don't lie, because it violates the holiness of God. So, you know, I was big at my house on not lying. How about gossip? Do you speak derisively of other people? Derisively, however you want to pronounce it. Do you criticize people? Do you spread rumors all the time? I had one of my dear friends come up to me a couple, several years ago, and she was bawling her eyes out. And she's very expressive anyway. She's bawling her eyes out. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And for what? What did you do? Well, it turns out she was sitting on the bleachers at a ball game, and the people next to her were saying something bad about me. And she said, right in on that bag and said, yeah, that Laura Kate, she just always bowed off that scripture. I said, you chose not to. I said, you honored me by not joining in. She said, yeah, but I didn't tell them to shut up. 
y'all, when you're criticizing other people, somebody's listening. You know what? And so we have to be really careful. Gossip, criticism, that's, those are death. The power of life and death is in the tongue. We need to be careful with our tongue. Do you use profane language? My preacher friend ain't going to do that no more. So <laughs> All right. Do you have any kind of immorality in your life? Is your thought life pure? How about your internet life? Is it pure? As I said now, how about your quote-unquote secret sins? Y'all, addiction is rampant in every area of life. Every and as I said earlier, even in the area of pornography, women are becoming addicted to pornography in huge percentages now. It's so sad. So sad. Phone sex. I can't even figure that out, I'm thankful to say. Y'all, it's rampant. And now we're coming out with brothels that have sex dolls that people can visit. <laughs> What's our world coming to? But where are God's people standing up and saying no? No. Saying no to addiction. Saying no to alcohol. Saying no to drugs. Saying no to pornography. Saying no to a shopping addiction. Saying no to an eating addiction. Even the things we think are secret. It's a kink in the hose. It's keeping you from obeying God. Obeying is not optional. Obeying is required. But y'all, as I told my kids over and over in their lives, and I tell my young women that I mentor, obedience is a door. And it opens your life to the blessing of God. There was a point in time, and, and anything I say about my husband is with his permission. I just want you to know that I, I, I am not dishonoring my husband. But he did go through a little tough time many years ago. And I think he was just early. He was uh, precocious in his midlife crisis or something. I don't know. But he was having a real hard time at work, and he was just awful to live with. He was so selfish and so demanding, which is not him. He was just awful, and I was just trying my best to survive with that man for that amount of time. And my spiritual gift is teaching. I teach Sunday school at my church. I have. I started not long after I moved to town, and I've been teaching since I was 25 years old in that church. And my husband came to me and said, you need to quit teaching Sunday school. It's taking up entirely too much of your time. Well, he was just selfish. He just wanted my time for himself, all of it. And I said, well, honey, that's my spiritual gift. That's what God commands me to do. Use my gift in my body of Christ and whatever. And, you know, he was just... And so he says, well, you're not making me happy. And I said, and y'all, sometimes your theology's right on, but your timing really stinks. <laughs> I had perfect theology. I said, well, honey, that's not my position. I can't make you happy. And I was right. Theologically, I'm correct. But my timing was bad. <laughs> so that's when, you know, he said, I want you to quit teaching. Blah, blah, blah. So I really struggled with that. And I thought, Lord, what are you talking about? Oh, do what my husband says, but he's telling me to do something that's sort of in opposition to what you have said. You've given me your spiritual gift. I am to use it for you. I mean, I was caught in a quandary. What in the world am I supposed to do? And I talked to a couple people, but I realized immediately that was not helpful. Because people will tell you what they think you want to hear, or they'll tell you, you don't have to put up with that. And they don't know. They haven't asked the Lord, so don't even listen. So I just went before the Lord and hashed it out. And finally the Lord said, you know what, honey? That is a gift I have given you. And I can ask you to put it on the shelf for a while, too. That's my prerogative. I can do that. And the Lord said, before... You are a worker bee. You are Kurt Cates' wife. And right under my relationship with the Lord, that is my highest uh, allegiance. And so I went to church and told them I would no longer be teaching. 
we all had been teaching there a really long time, and I had this huge Sunday school class, and they were like stunned. They were like, what? And I said, no, I think I'm just going to take a break for a while or whatever. That was one of the hardest obediences of my life. It really was. It was a huge struggle for me. But I did it. I did it confident that that's what the Lord would have me to do. And I told my husband, okay, I quit. And he was stunned. <laughs> you did what? <laughs> so you told me, quit teaching Sunday school. Okay, good. <laughs> Y'all, it wasn't three weeks. I don't think I missed one week of teaching. And my husband was on his knees, weeping, asking for forgiveness, and telling me, you go back up there and tell them you're going to teach. <laughs> you see, my obedience, even though it was hard, opened the door to God working in my husband's heart when he was having a tough time spiritually. And he brought about blessing in our lives. And I went right back up there and got started teaching just right away again, and I've been doing it ever since. And my husband's attitude has changed 180 degrees. And I get to go off and speak, and whatever, he's not as selfish with me anymore. My hard obedience thing opened the door to God's blessing in our marriage, in our family. I hope that he's blessing you today. Because I said yes way back then. And it was a hard thing. <clears throat> Uh, ten years or so ago, I was preparing to speak somewhere. My daughter came in. She was a teenager at the time. Uh, she came in and said, uh, What's it, what are you studying for? What's the topic? I said, well, it's on obedience. And she just blurts right out. She's in high school. And she said, tell them obedience comes from encounter with God. <laughs> well, aren't you Miss Priswise by the woman today? <laughs> wise statement <coughs> obedience comes from an, an encounter with God and I thought about that and I realized a life that is lived out of love for Jesus will be characterized by encountering God time in the word with the word applied by the Holy Spirit followed by prompt obedience to the word it's a life of constant transformation into the image of Jesus going from glory to glory, going from a little bit of shine to a lot more shine to a big old shine to a full flame shine. When I am living my life encountering God, siding up with Him in all things, I will obey. I will obey. Steve Green has an old, old song, but I love it. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of their devotion, this is not Exodus, sorry. Uh, the fire of their devotion, think about that. Other people are coming behind you. Even you younger ones, there's somebody younger than you watching you. May all who come behind you, think about this personally, find you faithful. May the fire of your devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives that we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Isn't that a great song? Well, that's my uh, don't let Satan it out. The word and obedience. Okay? But then, y'all, the last little part of that, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All caps. Okay? Not only the reality of the word in our lives and obedience in our lives, but I think the, the <laughs> crowning glory of our lives, the, the, a factor that if this is part of our lives, we will shine. There's just no way around it. The life of somebody in love with God, living in obedience to God, will ultimately be a life of worship. It is a life of worship. And I have found in my own life, worship is the antidote 
to any negative emotion I'm feeling, any kind of pity party I'm having, any kind of anger mode I'm in, any kind of uh, just kink in my hose. In the Old Testament, the concept of worship in Hebrew comes from the idea of bowing down low, laying yourself prostrate before a superior being. And when I am laid low before the Lord, recognizing him as the Lord, the superior one, when I am worshiping God, it takes care of a whole lot of bad attitudes in my life. The Greek word that's used most often in the New Testament has the same idea uh, about prostrating oneself to God in homage, to adore him, to reverence him. And worship denotes an act of reverence that is based in an attitude of reverence, right? The condition of the heart, reverent before the Lord, produces acts in our lives, the way we choose to live our lives, in reverence before the Lord. And that is worship. It's why we're created. Isaiah says we're created to glorify God. Westminster Catechism. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? And the English word for worship comes from the idea of worth. And back then, worth was based on weight. So how much worth does God have in your life? How much weight does he carry in your life? Worship, I believe, is the response of all of me to all of him. Our lives as believers should be characterized by worship. Everything in our lives should be an act of worship. A younger woman reminded me Uh, last week, that when she had been really young in my young married class, I had taught a lesson about the sanctity and the holiness of cleaning toilets as an act of worship. (laughs) Because I went through a time in my life when, you know, I'm like a big thinker and I want to think big thoughts and do big things and make a difference, you know, and rubbing that toilet one more time and I'm changing dirty diapers and cleaning up puke and I'm cooking and cleaning and cooking and cleaning and cooking and cleaning. And I'm like, come on, take me away. (laughs) (laughs) And really, y'all can do something to you. And so I just went to the Lord. Lord, I I do not like keeping house. I just really don't. And the Lord helped me realize that as the wife of Kurt Cates and as the mother of those three children, it was my responsibility and really my privilege to honor the Lord by keeping a clean home, a home that was orderly and honored him, by sacrificing myself and things I wanted to do to make my family function well. And even doing the mundane things of life became an act of worship in my life because I realized God chose me for that. He chose me to be the one, the only one, to clean the toilet that Kurt Kate uses. <laughs> it's sort of an exalted thing. Huh? I can bless my husband. And y'all, what's really cool later on in his life, he wasn't always so uh, kind about stuff like that, but he recognizes there's a lot of other things I could be doing and I'd rather be doing but that I love him, an active act of love toward him by taking care of our home and cooking food and that kind of stuff. So he appreciates that. But even without that appreciation, cleaning the toilet in my home became an act of worship for me. And man, praise music saved my life a lot of times. It certainly (laughs) saved my attitude and my mouth. Okay, because if I'm singing praise music while I'm cleaning the toilet, I'm not moaning and groaning and complaining, right? And it's so funny, y'all. I had, but we memorized scripture all the time in our household, and I had my kids, and I look back and notes in my Bible, and each one of my children, the very first verse I had them memorize 
was, of course, to combat something going on in their lives. You know, the Bible, the sword of the Spirit, it's a great weapon. But uh, to be used well. But it tells the story of each child, okay? My oldest son, my Pharisee, my hard and fast guy, had this little brother two years younger, you know? And so the, he was a little more than two years old. And the first verse he memorized, Be ye kind one to another. <laughs> right? And it's sort of been a thing for his whole life. Well, be kind. Be kind. And he's the same one that tried to get me to do something one time. And I, he was probably middle schoolish. And I said, Jason, you are not my only child. You're going to have to wait. And he looked at me. And in all sincerity, he said, well, I'm the only one that matters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, be kind one to another, right? My second son was uh, the one that never remembered that there were rules, didn't like the rules when he did try to think of them later on, and certainly didn't think they applied to him. And he just, he just was a little free spirit. So uh, his first verse was, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay? But my third child, my daughter, comes out, and uh, she's very bossy, very um, in charge, and uh, very much like me. <laughs> but anyway, very gifted in those areas. So <laughs> but she's a complainer and a grumbler. So her first verse she ever memorized, do everything without grumbling or complaining. And part of the reason I knew that verse to teach to her was because the Lord helped me by memorizing that verse while I was cleaning those toilets. Well, even cleaning a toilet can be an act of worship before the Lord because my heart is bowed in reverence before him. To say, Lord, I will do whatever it is you have for me to do. I will do it with great joy. Because I want to reflect back to you all that you are worth to me. And so I will clean this toilet and I will cook this food with great joy and great zeal. Because I want to honor you. I worship you with my life. And I find the higher my worship quotient, the more I am sincerely worshiping the Lord and y'all corporate worship getting together in church or like right now worshiping God is great but the rubber meets the road in that personal time of worship and so the more real and intense and humble you are in a private time of worship with the Lord that's your what I call your worship quotient okay and the higher my worship quotient in my life the higher my level of obedience, the higher my level of satisfaction in my life, the greater my joy, the deeper my peace, the more exciting to get up every day and see what God has for me on that day. I know God is real. The more real God is to me, the higher my worship quotient. So I encourage you to get in touch with God in a real way. In, a, in times of personal worship so that the rest of your, the satisfaction of your life increases exponentially. When you are satisfied in God, you are maximally satisfied. When the children of Israel, through disobedience, were in exile in Babylon for 70 years, but the Lord said, okay, it's time to go back. And he led them back in groups back from Babylon to the land of Israel to reestablish the first group that went back was the group led by Zerubbabel. And they went to restore the foundation of the temple. God made a statement with that, that the foundation of the life of a child of God is worship. Think about the setup of the temple, uh, the tabernacle and then the temple. You walk in first and there is the altar, right? Purity, purity before the Lord. Sacrifice for sin is made. 
after we had the purification, then we would go in with the cleansing. The cleansing of ceremonial cleansing. We have to be pure. We have to deal with sin. After we do, we have to accept the forgiveness of God and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then after that came the altar of incense, right? Prayer. Y'all, prayer is like breathing to a believer. The breath in your lungs to your physical body, prayer, that communion with God is like breathing spiritually. It is the basis of your spiritual vitality, your life. Is communion, communication with God himself. So purity, cleansing, prayer, those are all aspects of worship before the Lord. It's how we say to God, you are supreme, and I, I want to relate to you in a way that honors you and shows the awe and the reverence that I have for you. We're cognizant of all of God's holiness in all that. Because when they had the, the altar of the purity and then the, the cleansing and then the altar of the incense, then they were ready to go where? Into the very presence of God, the holy of holies. You know, that, that is the place where everything important happens in the presence of the Lord. One of my favorite passages of scripture comes from Exodus. In Exodus 33 and 34, this is after, you know, God has redeemed the children of Israel, bring them out miraculously from Pharaoh, drowns all the Egyptians in the little bitty old Red Sea and all that stuff, you know. And then Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with the Lord. And he's having the time of his life up there with the Lord. And the people are down in the valley doing what? Making a golden calf. Oh, my goodness. Y'all, God made us to worship, and we will worship. But it is the object of our worship that makes all the difference. Moses on the mountaintop was worshiping the Lord. The people in the valley were worshiping an image, a golden calf. We are made to worship. We will worship. But what are and who are you worshiping? So Moses comes down, he sees that, oh my goodness, breaks the tablet, melts the calf, makes, you know, throws it in water, makes them drink it. I mean, it's, people are killed. It is a tough time. And Moses, as their leader, think about that. You know, God had called him to lead the people. He's got these millions of people that he's responsible to the Lord for. And he goes away for a little while and they mess up. And uh. So Moses is like topsy-turvy, right? He doesn't know which way is up and which way is down. And so he starts talking to the Lord. And, you know, God reiterated to him, Exodus 33, go up from here, you and the people that you brought out of Egypt, you go on, I will send an angel with you. And Moses says, whoa, Lord, time out, time out. You said you would lead us. You would go with us. Cloud by day, fire by night. And Moses said the most wonderful thing to the Lord. He, he prayed, you know, went to the Lord. And he confirmed to the Lord that the distinguishing characteristic of these people was that they had the presence of the Lord with them. It wasn't anything else. God didn't choose them because they were cute or smart or more than everybody else or anything. God set his love on him because he chose to set his love on him. And he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that was their distinguishing characteristics, was the presence. That's why they carried around the ark and all that. They carried around the tabernacle and set it up right in the middle of everywhere they <coughs> camped out. Because the very presence of the Lord was the distinguishing thing about them as a people. So Moses, I mean, he is thrown by that. He's weightless. He doesn't know which way is up and which way is down. And so he goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways so I can know you. He's looking to find out about God because he does not want to carry on without the Lord. He said, consider this too, Lord. This is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you. 
I will lead you there. And Moses says, Lord, if you don't go with us, then we don't want to go. Don't lead us out of here. We don't want to go. We don't want to be anywhere apart from you. And he said, how can it be known if I have found favor in your sight, I and and your people? Is it not by you going with us that will be our distinguishing characteristic from all the other people who are on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Moses, you're mine. You're mine, and you have asked me to do this, and I'm going to do it. And then Moses says, I pray, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your shininess. Show me all your worth, Father. Show me how much you weigh. Show me, Lord, show me your glory. And here's God's response. God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion upon whom I will show compassion. And he said, Moses, but you you cannot see my face, for no man that sees my face can live. But the Lord said, hey, look, buddy, there's a place by me right here. Stand here on the rock. And it will come about, my glory will be passing by. I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back. My face shall not be seen. And the Lord did that for Moses. Y'all, how many times in my life Have I been topsy-turvy? I haven't known which way was up, which way was down. Everything was hard. I felt like the Lord was remote, or certainly I was remote. I couldn't figure out what to do, Lord. Just show me yourself. And the Lord would come to me and say, baby girl, there's a place right here by me. You stand here on the rock. You be on the lookout for my goodness and my compassion. I will pass before you and show you my glory, girl. So Moses' response is what is so beautiful. The Lord passed by in front of him, and the Lord proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And Moses' response, Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship and he said Lord if I have found favor in your sight go with us in our midst even though the people are obstinate pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as thine own possession Moses' response a topsy-turvy time was to go to the Lord and ask him show me your glory Lord and then his response was to bow low and worship and offer himself to the Lord take me as your own possession There's a really old song, an old chorus, and it says, Lord, the church, believers, 
stand before you in worship, our prayers burning bright against the sky. Lord, we want to burn, not just a flickering flame, but to be wholly consumed in your name. Can I ask you to bow your heads for a moment? <coughs> Gonna have just a, a little time of prayer, one last opportunity to do business with the Lord. Father, we are here today because we want to know you. We want to know who you are, what you have for us to do. Father, we want to present ourselves to you say we are I am Father God for you for your own possession but girls we know our attitudes and our actions are certainly not always in keeping with an attitude of worship so I just want to ask you now if there is anything you know right now that is not an attitude or even an action that is not in keeping with the character of God, the nature and character of God. It's a kink in your hose. Confess that to the Lord right now. Ask Him to take it away. Name it a sin. And then receive the cleansing and the freedom that we have to walk in that newness of life that God supplies. You know, there are a lot of us here that are wives. And it seems like sometime in our wife life, that attitude of shining, that full flaminess kind of gets covered up. Because we get selfish, we get angry, we get tired get worried, we're fearful, we're prideful, all those bitter, we just let so many things into our lives. If your wife life right now, if you know that it's just not at the level of worship that it needs to be, would you just confess that to the Lord? Lord, I dishonor my husband. Lord, I don't respect my husband. Lord, I have not been worshiping you through my role as a wife. Ask God to forgive you and receive the forgiveness and the cleansing. Jeez, and then there's those of us that are mothers. And, you know, we talk about the phrase, Lord, those kids just push every one of our buttons. But, Father, we use our children's actions and disobedience as triggers for our own disobedience and lack of Christ-likeness. Father, would you work us over on that? Would you do a work in our hearts that brings us to the place of understanding more deeply than we ever have before. What an exalted thing it is to be a mother. Lord, you've given us our very first mission field, our very first group to make disciples. Lord, would you help us to accept from you that awesome responsibility with joy, with fear and trembling, and with worship. Lord, in my mothering, may I reflect back to you all that you are worth in my life. There are so many other areas of life we could talk about, but in your work life, in your sibling life, in your friend life, and your citizen of a nation life, if there is any rebellion, any activity in your life that does not bring glory and honor to Jesus, 
would you just reject it right now? Confess it to the Lord. Repent. Receive forgiveness. And Lord, you know every person in this room has had or is having right now a really tough time. Lord, sometimes our pain and our wounds are so deep we don't even recognize them. But Father, unfortunately, we live out of that identity. We let the circumstances or the people in our lives dim our flame. Father, whatever's not right in our spirit, if it's unforgiveness, if it's just being overwhelmed by grief and not letting you in, if it's being really aggravated at you because we don't like what you've asked us to do, whatever it is, Father, I pray that we would offer it up to you as an act of worship to say, Lord, I reverence you. I give you all the weight and all the power and all the worth in my life. So much so that the things of earth go strangely dim, even my pain, Father. I give it to you as an act of worship to bow low before you, to offer myself to you. I want to be a people for your own possession. Father, I have loved this time here. These ladies are just so awesome. Lord, I pray abundance in their lives. I pray an abundance of joy, an abundance of obedience, an abundance of love for you, that you would reignite, that you would kindle afresh, that you would fan the flame of your presence in their lives. So much so, Father, that your word has preeminence, their obedience is right on target and first time. And their worship quotient is as high as it has ever been. We love you so much, Lord. We offer ourselves to you. We thank you. We humble ourselves before you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.